0: Do these kids know the 23rd Psalm? Keep them in here while we say it together, all right? Put it on the screens for us. The 23rd Psalm and the King James Version. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm prescribing that now for you. If you are beset by anxiety, if you cannot find peace, five times a day, get out your Bible and read Psalm 23. When you get up in the morning at each of your meals and then in the evening, get it out and read it. It is the distillation of King David's walk with God his whole lifetime through. Captured in the way he experienced life as a shepherd boy. And how he experienced God's presence thereafter. If you're troubled and afraid. If you're going through a time that's more difficult than you've ever been before. Read Psalm 23. Over and over again. One fellow said he had to read it 500 times. For it worked its way into his mind and soul and heart. And he believed it for himself. Which is what you must do. Appropriate it for yourself. Now, we are Jesus people here at First Baptist New Orleans. Amen? We are centered in Christ the Lord. So we read Psalm 23 with Jesus goggles on. And for us, the good shepherd is Jesus. And he draws from the metaphors of this psalm over and over again. Dwelling in the house of the Lord, he talks about the Father's house. And we mentioned that last week. So Psalm 23 has wound its way through Scripture into the teachings of Jesus, into his language and his metaphors. And we need to have it in our heart. Some people think the most beautiful poetry in the Bible. Psalm 23. My brother Tom and I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon a couple of years ago. Some people would say it is the deepest valley on this continent, 5,000 feet from the rim to the bottom. I think we've got a picture of it there, don't we? And it's beautiful in every aspect. When you look at it from the top, when you see it from the bottom, if you go into the middle, which we did, and look at the canyon from its side, it's just an amazing work of art by the Creator God. But you can see it has shadows in it. Every valley does. And the shadows come more quickly and they're deeper in the valley than on the mountaintop. The holy land is carved up by canyons and valleys, peaks and ravines. When King David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley... He knew about valleys. Now, maybe you haven't walked through a valley here recently. Maybe you've driven through valleys. Sometimes you sort of get the same thing when you drive through a valley. But for David the shepherd boy, walking was the mode of transportation as it was for all those folks in ancient times. And they experienced valleys very intimately. They had to walk everywhere. And if they were walking on the ridge, it was brighter. And there was breeze. And if they got in the valley there was a shadow. Sometimes you're walking in the downtown area and you come into the shadow of a big tall building and a chill hits you because it's cooler and you want to walk briskly and get back into the sunshine because the sun warms you up. There's a special valley right next to Jerusalem that David crossed repeatedly and it's associated with him. It's called the Kidron Valley. I have a picture of that too. And this is looking from the Mount uh, or from the uh, Garden of Gethsemane area south in the Kidron Valley and you can see the rocks and the shadows there cast on the hill. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. I wish for you all good things in your life. I wish that you will have no troubled times. But the truth of the matter is, this valley that David mentions in the psalm is part of your life plan. You will walk through this valley with people that you love. And when you get there, you'll realize how dark the shadows are. You will walk through this valley yourself. Maybe only a few steps, maybe a long journey. This valley is in your future. Keep your gate when you get to this valley. I hope you're living in faith, walking in faith. Amen. You're trusting God today. Things are good. Life is good. You're on the mountaintop. God's presence is real. You're living in faith. I hope that you have the gate of faith about you. Because when you get to this valley, you're going to need to keep that walk up. You need to keep your gate. You need to practice it now. How you walk through the good times. How you walk through the small troubles how you trust God in the here and now, see him, walk with him, or intimate with him, talk with him, get into his word. All these things are pertinent for you when you get to the valley of the shadow. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley, because you keep your gate up. You keep walking. Sometimes we get into the troubled times of life and we want to change our gait. We want to run instead of walk. God, just get me through this thing. Let me hurry on along. When you get into the valley of the shadow, the images are not as clear as they were when the sun was shining clearly down your path. You might have walked through this area with no problem, but now there's a shadow there, and you can't quite distinguish what's in the bushes and the rocks and on the mountainside. See, the valley of the shadow is a little scarier than the wide-open space where the sun shines bright. When you hit the shadow, you don't know what might be lurking. That's why the road from Jericho to Jerusalem was famous for robbers who hid along the steep paths and waited for the unsuspecting travelers Think of it if you're by yourself and you're walking along in the rugged Middle East and you come to that valley where the shadows are. What do you do? The only way you can get from point A to B is walk. So you keep walking. Spiritually, you keep walking. A problem is coming into your life. You keep walking. You keep your gate up. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep praying. Keep talking to him. Something inside your head wants you to run from the disciplines you've learned and the things that you've done. Sometimes in the valley of the shadow, we get so disoriented, we stop talking to God. We stop trusting in his grace. We panic. We get afraid. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. The disciplines that you practice now, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, reading the word, worshiping with God's people, that daily time you have with God, this is what sustains you when you get to the shadow and it's coming so keep your gate and keep your faith some people write about the psalm and say it's just the shadow of death famously said the shadow can't bite you the shadow of a dog can't bite. The shadow of a spear can't stab. And in a way, I, I know that's true. But I don't think David is trying to communicate to us that the shadow's nothing, that it's easy, that it's harmless. I think David, who walks through the valley as a shepherd boy, knows better. There's real danger and trouble here. The shadow says to me sometimes life it's hard and painful. And the light is not as bright as it's been at other times. Sometimes it's colder and darker can you receive this it's not all even the path laid out for you so keep your gate and keep your faith when you hit the shadow david says Yea, though I walk through the shadow, because he knows he's talking now about the extremes of life. We have extreme sports, and they're popular, and the word extreme is out there a lot. Well, sometimes life gets extreme on you, and you don't know how things can pile up like they have in your life. And what test might come next, and feeling like Job, you cry out to God and say, enough! Sometimes it gets extreme. That's what David's talking about. When life is hard and the challenges are tough. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I want you to live like you're dying in this sense. You know your mortality, but you're going to live every day full of the grace and joy of God. If not today, then what day are you going to enjoy God's grace and peace? If not today? Yesterday? Tomorrow? If not today, what day are you going to be walking with him, singing the song, joyful of heart? Is there some era of your life that you're looking toward and thinking, when I get in that era, then things are going to be good for me and I'll finally have the abundant life Jesus said I could have? You're fooling yourself. This is the day for you. Every day, today's all you've got to enjoy the abundance that He promised. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He mentions death because humans mention death a lot. It's just part of our language, part of our experience. It's in our art. Heavens, our church is located right next to this huge cemetery. The most visible cemetery in America, somebody said. One person asked me, does that creep you out? (laughs) No, it doesn't worry me to be next to a cemetery. I kind of like it. Sometimes I just take a detour. Do not tell the cemetery people this. And I come to the church through the cemetery just so I can kind of look around, see the tomb, see what's happening. You know there's a tomb out there that says Robert Como on it in big letters. I took a picture of it with the church behind, showed it to Robert. Yeah. I have country preachers that say, now, we have a cemetery next to our church. I tell them, you call that a cemetery? Let me show you a cemetery. Some people, sometimes people come running out of the seminary, cemetery to the church. Excuse me. With that. <laughs> More than once, you know, we've had folks come, had a guy come into the lobby one day and said, what have they done with my mother? We had to go with him to the grave. For some reason, the body had been exhumed. So we had to work through that and find out where it was. We've led people to Christ who fled the cemetery, broken and tearful. The shadow of death falls upon your life and you start looking at things. Sometimes you see things more clearly when death makes a visit than at any other time in your life, life is sort of reduced to its basics in the valley of the shadow. The real stuff, not the fluff, not the frills, the real stuff about life starts coming to the surface. The God who loves you and whom you know. The people you love and who love you. The relationships that sustain you. These are the things that in the shadow stand tall. I will fear. No evil. I got a verse I want you to remember. I've used it before. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. Put it up on the screen. I want to read it for you. Is this one in our list? This is 2, 14, and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood... That's you and me, okay? Since we have flesh and blood... He, that is Jesus Christ our Lord, since the children have flesh and blood, we are mortal. We live and die. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And, look at this line, free. Those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He took on humanity and died to free those who all their lives were held in bondage by their fear of death. Are you afraid of death? I meet sometimes people who say, I'm not afraid of death. It's dying that worries me. I understand that. I do. I understand that. This is what David says If I walk through this valley, I fear no evil. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid in this valley. No evil. There's nothing in the valley that can terrify me. David wrote these words before Jesus came and died on the cross, yet he had this sense that even in this valley, the hope that he had in God is unchanged. The faith that he walks with his whole life through is secure. He does not need to be afraid. He ends this psalm with this magnificent crescendo I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He wasn't worried about the valley of the shadow, he wasn't going to fear it. It wasn't going to make him run or freeze paralyzed. I fear no evil. Why? This is where Psalm 23 turns into a prayer. For the first three and a half verses, you read through and he's talking about God in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he makes me lie down, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil and then he says not for he is with me he says for you are with me this is the first time in the psalm that he's used the second person and suddenly he's not just talking about God and what he's done for him he's talking to God The valley of the shadow will do this for you. If you're always talking about God in the third person, he does this and he does that. The valley of the shadow will turn your third person into second person, your observations into prayer. You are with me. Keep your gate, keep your faith keep your friend what a friend we have in jesus all our what sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to god in prayer in the tough times of life you need to talk to god Use the second person. You are with me. It's a confession, is it not? He's talking to God now and he's saying, you are with me. He knows he's with him in all the activities of life. He knows it up here mentally. And then he says to God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I'm trying to think, and I went through this psalm thinking about David as a sheep, all right? The Lord is my shepherd. And it's easy to see him as a sheep when the Lord makes him lie down in green pastures and leads him beside the still waters. And even as he walks through the valley of the shadow, you can sort of see the shepherd with the sheep. And the sheep's not afraid because, because the shepherd's with him. You are with me. What else do you need? In the deepest, darkest, most difficult time of your life, what else do you need? You are with me. God, if you are with me, if you will just stay with me. Jacob made this prayer when he was he was tearing out into the wilderness afraid somebody was going to hunt him down and kill him. And he laid down on that wide spot in the road that we now call Bethel, had a rock for a pillow. And he saw the angels ascending and descending on a ladder to heaven. And he woke up and he said, the Lord's in this place. And I didn't know it. And he made this prayer to God, Lord, if you will be with me, if you'll just be with me, then I'll be yours. When you get in the valley of the shadow, talk to God. Confess, Lord, you are with me. Now, you don't like the rod any more than a sheep does. I mean, what's the rod for, do you think? Whacking them on the head. Sticking them in the side. Prodding them. Getting out of the place they're not supposed to be. That's what the rod's for. I read a poem once by a man who whose daughter died. And I would never have confessed it this way, but he said he sought God on all the avenues and canyons and valleys of life in the cities. He looked and And God wasn't anywhere to be found. And then his daughter died. And he concludes the poem with this. Lo, as I bent beneath the rod, I looked up and there was God. And for this man and for others, In my experience, the deepest hole you can imagine in a journey of life, the darkest valley with the coldest shadows in it, this is the place where bent beneath the rod, he found the God to whom he committed his life thereafter. So if you are in a narrow place, a difficult place, why not turn to the God who is always with you and trust in him and let God make your extremity his opportunity for a change in your life? Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Sometimes you don't even know it. The comfort that you're getting from the God who cares for you in the painful places of life. And David continues his prayer, and I still imagine him in the valley, walking through the valley as a sheep with a shepherd, anointed with oil, cup running over, surely goodness and mercy following me. You know you need goodness and mercy both, don't you? Particularly in the valley, all right? The goodness of God is the stuff you don't deserve that he gives you. And the mercy of God is the stuff you do deserve. That he doesn't. You need both his provision and his pardon in the valley of the shadow. I've been in the valley of the shadow enough as a pastor that I know when you get there, you often feel guilt. Your loved one dies and you reassess your relationship and the things that you said and how you provided or didn't provide for them or where you were, the distance between you, and suddenly there's guilt in the valley. I guarantee you, when you make your journey through the valley, this valley that's on your life plan, you're going to need to know the mercy of God to be able to forgive yourself and forgive others of things that were done that shouldn't have been done and things that should have been done that never got done. If you're not careful, if you don't embrace the presence of God, if you don't let his rod and his staff comfort and provide for you, when you get in the valley, you just might get bitter You might get hard inside, and you might hurt the people you're supposed to love. You might bruise relationships that are really important to you because you come through this valley, people. You walk through the valley. It's not where you camp out. Sometimes it feels that way. But you walk through this valley, if you're walking through this valley with a loved one, as I have done, you come out on the other side. And what the loved one who goes on to heaven wants you to do is live. Live without regret. Live free of the guilt. Live fully and abundantly. Not every day beating yourself up for the inadequacy of your provision back when she was ill or back when he needed you. To get your head up and straighten up your spine and put up your chin and say, I'm going to live fully. Forgiving myself as God has forgiven me. Lord, I need your goodness and your mercy today as I've come out of this valley that I've walked through. And if it's you that's dying... And you're coming to your end. You gather your wits about you like Jacob. You pass on the blessing to the people that you love. You express your love for them. And you know in your heart that death is not a house you enter. For the person of faith it's the porch. And the house is the Father's house. You're passing through on your way to the house where you live forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Somebody here needs the strong and powerful comfort of the God who knows and who's been with you through all your travails, though maybe you don't know it. You need his comfort, powerful in your life. And he wants to give it to you. But you must receive it in faith. Can you turn your talk into a prayer? We've been talking about the stuff that's going on with you. Can you turn it into a prayer? Do you know him as your shepherd? It's interesting that from the first book in the Bible, Genesis 48, People of faith are saying God brings his comfort. Joseph is having a dialogue with his brothers. And they are afraid now that Jacob has died that he's going to turn on them and hurt them because he's the prime minister of Egypt and they're just sojourners in the land of Egypt. And he's afraid what they're going... They're afraid what he's going to do. And he says... He says, look, I'm not going to hurt you. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured, that is, comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I wanted you to see that this word is the same word that's used in Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, Your rod and staff, they comfort me. They reassure me. They settle me. They secure me. God wants to put your feet on solid ground in the middle of the valley you're walking through, give you an assurance of his presence that he's at work in your life and in the life of your family, that he knows the plans he has for you, good things he's going to bring to you, plans for peace and a purpose. He wants to bring you through this valley in faith. Sometimes you get in the valley and you say, where is God? And then you realize he's caring. He's carrying you. That's how you're sustained, by his grace. If you're at the end of your resources, you need the good shepherd. If you're confused and don't know what to do next, you need the good shepherd. Jacob said, God has been my shepherd my whole long life. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. You say, how do you find God as a shepherd? How can that be real to me? How how can I know that in my heart? You come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you come. It's Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I so want you to know the good shepherd... Not know about him, but know him. Not just talk about him, but talk to him. Have a relationship with the one who made you and loves you. And is drawing you to himself. Even today. Bow with me, please. Would you turn your talk into a prayer as you bow your head? Turn Psalm 23 into a prayer. Confess it to him. Lord, we pray that in this moment of decision and reflection, moment of response, that you would give us the faith to change course, to change our language, to respond to your Holy Spirit as he calls us and draws us. Do your work in us, we pray. Give us your peace and your comfort. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.